What's up guys, welcome to the Meeple Minded Podcast, the podcast where we talk all things tabletop gaming. My name is Jason. And my name's Ian. And along with Paul in the newsroom, join us as we bumble our way through the board gaming industry. So pop the kettle on, grab a brew, and let's get on with today's episode. Brew in hand, and what are we going to discuss today, Ian? So, we were having a think, and we, we, we were actually going down a bit down memory lane, and what converts people... Or what do people, what interests people in joining our communities and joining our board gaming um, hobbies? Indeed, indeed. And it, that sort of moved on a bit to uh, how you essentially bring someone in to our beloved hobby. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we've the past few years showing drastic increases in the number of gamers within the tabletop industry. It's never been a better time to really introduce new people to our hobby, but it's not always as easy as it sounds. No, I mean, Jason's my perfect example for this. We go way back. Um, and the irony is, is he had he, Jason had his club before I had mine, I think. Um, and um, I made my way over to um, Crawley Gaming Club. And he literally just solely did, table, uh, to, did the um, table war game, tabletop wargaming. And it took me weeks to get him to actually entertain a normal board game. Indeed, yeah, I never used to be, uh, never used to be a board gamer or a card gamer, really, for for that matter. I was always more into the war games, but yeah, introducing new people into just the tabletop hobby as a you know, as a whole, whether it be role play, that seems to be the easiest one to get people to try at the moment. But card games, board games, war games, it's really really hard to get people to actually try it but we've been doing this for a long time Ian and I think when we sat down and really think about it through all of our successes and failures we have managed to narrow our processes down should we say into a five stage checklist yeah I think think that's a fair judgment it's the common things we find of what gets people to come back? You know, what gets people interested? What gives people the bug of board gaming or card gaming? You know, or tabletop in general. What gives, what gives people the gaming hobby and gets get, gives you that itch? Yeah, that makes you have to keep coming back. Indeed, and I think it's now fair that we have this platform that we allow our knowledge to be used by the general population. So, if you guys have someone that you think might be in, might get into the board gaming. We're going to give you our five things to, to help you make them take that plunge into this wonderful hobby. Would you like me to start us off? Yeah, can do. Start with uh, start with number five. Five. So I'm going to say, you know, we're going to put set the scene. You've got someone new turned up to a board game club. What's the first thing you really need to do with that new person? In my opinion, you need to get to know them. They might be timid. They might be shy. It might be a big, scary world for them. We've mentioned it in some of the older podcasts, how it can be quite difficult to just pull that plunge and actually turn up to one of these events in the first place. You know, it's a big step for some people. So you need to be friendly, warming, welcoming, and actually get to know what sort of things interest them, you know, before you even start to pick a game. Yeah, exactly. And and that goes with, with not even being a board game club or, or a any kind of gaming club for that matter but you know maybe, maybe it's one of your friends that you you would like to introduce into it if it's your friend you probably know a bit about them anyway but it doesn't hurt to try and find out a little bit more information about a person you know 
do they have any other hobbies? You know, what sort of movies do they like? What sort of music do they like? Because all of these things do generally point to what type of game they might enjoy playing. And we'll get on to it a bit later about how theme would actually really matter to these people. But the last thing you really want to do is start recommending a game like, let's say, Disney Villainous to find out later that they have an irrational hatred of Disney. They're never going to come back from that. So, yeah, getting to know the person is vitally, vitally important. And again, on that front, you know, it's one way of being friendly and open towards people. And, um, you know, people need to feel welcome. People might not want a game if they don't feel like they're going to be part of it. Four. So for number four, this one we have entitled, It's Not About You. And the reason we say that is because we all have games that we really want to play. Some of us have got absolutely massive game collections where they want to play every single game. However, just because you want to play something does not mean that they will enjoy it will even want to play it i've mentioned this before um especially as us us two are organizers we have to be willing to play absolutely anything because we want people to have fun especially paramount being their first time somewhere you know you're with anything in life first impressions are what makes or breaks everything you know and we're no exception in this industry you know or in this um, hobby um, first impressions will define what mm. how we feel about it if you make it so it's not fun people won't come back exactly the analogy i've uh, i always like to use is put yourself in uh, your first experience at a restaurant if it goes bad and you don't have a great first impression there would you likely go back because i'm pretty sure the answer is no same principles and again another thing to can contemplate and consider if you chuck someone into the deep end with like some really complex horrendous game for their first experience some of these games can be quite frightening with the amount of things you see which we'll cover later but if just because we wanted to try that one big game there might only be enough players for one game of something and if you chuck someone in the deep end you know same thing applies if they don't enjoy it that might be them done you know like a game with something like twilight imperium that's going to take all all day or potentially all weekend to play like it's the way we even look at things like Monopoly. You know, how many people want to play a game of Monopoly when they know it's going to take like five hours to play it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Great example. Three. And coincidentally, that does lead us on to the next point for number three. Mountains of components and lots of rules become a big no-no. <laughs> New players are likely only going to have ever been exposed to maybe simple tabletop games. As Ian said, the likes of Monopoly, Cluedo, that kind of stuff. Or maybe, maybe they're transitioning over from the digital games where they're not used to having, you know, loads of rules to learn before you even get to play the game. So, yeah, seeing mountains of components or a big thick rule book before they're even starting the process of learning how to play a game is as we've said countless times, is incredibly daunting. And the likelihood is they will put up a mental block and no matter how much fun you 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 incorporate into that game, that mental block is going to be damn near impossible to break break through those walls. Yeah. You know, um, um, as I said, Twilight Imperium is one I mentioned a minute ago is a good example. It's a huge game. It takes a long time. It's got lots of components. Even Zombicide, one of my absolute favourite co-op games, 
it's a long time to set up and a long time to pack down you know you've got to think even those sort of things into consideration how long are these people going to want to play their first game for you know are you better off with a short like half hour to an hour long game or would they be someone that would be interested in the long haul you know if you can work that out before you start you're not going to frighten them off with something that they might not want to do after they feel like they're compelled to finish yeah yeah i couldn't i couldn't really agree more with that one to be honest and again it all sort of all of these are intertwined with each other that really draws back to that getting to know the person because you should get a rough idea if if when you're getting to know someone they openly say oh i've got a fairly short attention span why on earth would you start introducing them to possibility of a a really big in-depth game so yeah it is really all intertwined you really need to get to know those people know that it's not about you and then know whether a mountain of components or lots of rules is going to be something they're attracted to or something that they're essentially scared of but another thing that does draw back to what I said earlier about getting to know people is our number two thing and that is theme really matters to new gamers now this one um, is gonna sound biased from both of us because you all know by now we love our IP games however please do listen to this because this one is actually one of the the most demonstrated things to both of us when we're introducing new people to games however i will put in a disclaimer now it's not a guarantee you know this one isn't a you know always 100 percent sort of accurate thing you know there are people out there that don't need a theme on them but again we'll, we'll go through why we think this is key to us and and to our clubs you know our clubs are our experience and i'd say a good like 90 percent of the people we've had at our clubs or new people especially, are attracted yeah. to this point. And Ian said at the the outset of this podcast of how he, you know, it's become a, a well-known story really about how he got me into board gaming itself. And the, this one, I should have clocked on, personally, I should have clocked onto this a lot quicker than I did because it worked on me. And that is, from my first experience, what got me into the board game? It was Ian pushing the right buttons with a theme that I absolutely loved in in Marvel. So, yeah. Yeah, so when I first turned up to um, Crawley Gaming Club, I had just got my brand new copy, and you guys are all going to groan because we bring it up a lot, of Thanos Rising. And, again, I've seen all the tabletop stuff. X-Wing and Star Wars I played a lot. Uh, You know, Jason had things like Destiny and... Um, you know, I was always interested in the wargaming side of things and all the miniatures. But when I rocked up, tried a few weeks of just trying to get him to play all sorts of games, no luck. Stick Thanos in the middle of the table and the massive cardboard Infinity Gauntlet. And he just kept walking past the table and we hooked him and got him in. And it was a nice, simple game, but the theme fit really well. And I just showed that you don't need a bunch of rulers and a bunch of dice to enjoy it's what's on the table. It's a dice-based game. <laughs> but you know what i mean you know you didn't need yeah. battle dice to rule it but again i've seen the opposite as well i've seen board gamers me i'm a good example for this i i like the ideals of um, war gaming but i find it really difficult to justify like the massive cost of money and everything involved and then a long swoop star wars armada and then it went all my money with it <laughs> exactly and themes what got me gaming in the first place 
my entry into gaming was through the Pokemon card, trading card game. Mm-hmm. And that was through um, one of my friends at school showing me it before, ironically, the craze hit. But the cra- when the craze exploded, you know, so did the game. And that was my entry into this world. So, yeah, to give you guys some food for thought, really, imagine the cult classic that we all know right now, the most well-known modern tabletop game in pandemic you know put yourself in the in the shoes of someone who's not into games and let's say doesn't really care for that particular theme and you know someone has suggested you play that because they didn't bother to get to know you uh, and find out what your likes and dislikes were but they managed to convince you to play the game after all in your eyes all that game is doing is moving little cubes about on a big colorful board there's not really any inspiring about that in their eyes and yet all they're being told is oh this is the best game since sliced bread but now if you were to have that exact same game with a theme that they enjoy those same cubes become the keys to something far more immersive in in their eyes so yeah it's theme really does matter to new gamers and yeah there will be some people out there that that won't care about the theme but i i would say a good 80 percent of new gamers that i have managed to convert have been drawn to a theme have tried a game because of the theme really enjoyed it and that has opened their minds to actually playing other games which don't need a theme and jason has to include himself in all of this i do indeed i am one of those people we have managed to get ourselves to our number one thing pretty quickly which is good but i have a feeling we're going to talk about this one a fair bit so number one one it is vital absolutely vital the first game they have once you've done all of the other four steps the first game they have they must have fun Fun is what our hobby is about, isn't it? It's one of those things that people actually forget a lot. Um, sometimes the drive to win becomes more important for some people than actually enjoying a game. Um, me and you have come to the conclusion many a time that one of the most fun things we can do in this hobby is actually lose games. Yeah. But it's be careful about things as well, not to pick on people. You know, even like when you think to um, things like video games, how many games you could have the most fantastic video game ever if you're with a group of toxic people you're not going to enjoy it and if you don't enjoy it you don't go back yeah your first impressions in anything in the world in general are so key i mentioned that earlier and fun is still a first impression yeah you know if you're trying to coax people into playing you know joining our world and wondering why we do what we do and why we have so many games and things like that you want to make sure they enjoy their first one the the uh the experience here i the analogy should we say that i uh, like to use here is that of going to a supermarket you could have the best go to the best supermarket in town you have nothing but great things to say about it all the way around but when you get to the checkout that is the equivalent of you playing playing your your tabletop game if you get served by the rudest person in the world, the human brain will remember that. So it doesn't matter the fact that they've had a great time before that. The very last thing they remember was something they didn't enjoy. They didn't have fun. And it leaves a negative taste in your mouth. I can even relate this to myself in a weird way. Um, there's games that I have stopped playing because 
I've had such bad experiences with just particular people that that's stuck in my mind and I've not wanted to go back because I've not wanted to have that same experience again. And it's no different for someone new to the hobby. You know, if they think that the um, experience was bad, then um, they'll assume that's the case for all of them. Mm. And like with any sort of hobby or any interest, if if you're going to go into it, you need to know you're going to enjoy it. Yeah, and this is where you start figuring out, you know, what what type of games is is are best for these people. And we always recommend, really, if it's a if it's a new player, they don't really know what they want, you know, what they want. We we definitely recommend trying out the likes of co-op games because it's a little bit less pressure on them, far easier to to learn the rules because you're able to work as a team in order to do it. However, my key thing to recommend there is you have to avoid the quarterbacking side of things and playing the game for them because they're not going to have fun doing that. I was about to say, um, the other thing to note is also which co-op games you're playing and to, you know, with the the warning that some co-op games are brutal, even the the good, you know, the friendlier ones, they can go badly. We had one member um, in one of our gaming groups that absolutely despises the Thunderbirds board game because we literally lost in the first three turns because the game just went nope. But we played another, I can't even remember, it was another co-op game like the week before or the week after and they kept asking to play that again. You know, two almost identical sort of games but they just had this mental view that Thunderbirds was almost impossible, not going to do it again, didn't enjoy that. Yeah. And never going back. So yeah, they had a negative experience on their first time playing it and yeah, never... Never wanted to play it again. It's, it's something you just have to do. You have to have fun playing a game. It, it's why we do it at the end of the day. And I think a lot of people do need to actually remember that this is meant to be a fun thing. Um, there is, It is nice to be competitive once in a while, but really when it's not fun for everyone involved, there's something pretty wrong, I think. Yeah. But again, as with all of these five things as well, it's all about balance you know remember your first experience you know like is it a memorable one you know like the fact that me and jason can remember our first experience of it because of the funny story that goes behind it of the war of attrition of oh it's a board game it'd be boring yeah but then me bringing out this nice shiny marvel miniature and all of these ip you know pretty cards and bright colors and stuff and you know it's like dangling a carrot in front of someone yeah and again this industry is growing People are realizing it's well. One, it's acceptable to be nerdy, and people are realizing games just aren't for you know aren't for nerds anymore. You know, they're for everyone, which is how it's always been and should be. But people are realizing for the cost of a board game and a you know, takeaway and a few drinks, you can save so much money on the sake of a you know a few nights out on the town instead. You know, four nights out with a group of four people with a board game that they can keep playing. You know, just adding the them drinks and food to go with it versus each paying like 100 quid a night out it suddenly you it saves a lot of money for the same amount of fun yeah so yeah i think that is pretty much all of the advice that we have really in 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 regards to trying to create new gamers you know it sounds rather frankenstein-esque doesn't it but (laughs) uh no it's all about converting those people that have never tried a modern board game you know let's be honest we've all played the classics it's about converting people to modern board games. They are totally different, and of course, that extends over to the likes of war games, roleplay games, and card games as well. They're all totally different to what they were even 10, 20, 25, 30 years ago, whatever it might be. They are totally different, and it's about introducing them to what we, are, what we like 
now. I suppose a bonus round for this sort of um, subject as well is actually the type of games that you choose to play as well. We already mentioned like our love for co-op games, so we're always going to be biased on that front. But if you've got a lot of people that love storytelling or love immersing themselves in video games, why not tempt them with a really... If you know someone who's a really good dungeon master, try and rope them into a good you know, role-playing game session. Mm-hmm. If you know people that like their strategy games, war games are perfect for that you know and there's some great card games not just competitive ones you know like me and my pokemon but there's some really good party games out there as well a lot of which are card based you know the obvious one being cards against humanity but things like um sushi go machikoro or you know even continuing like the, the party silly party thing or things like joking hazard they're just such a different way of playing and it's a it's an entry into this world yeah definitely um party games are are a whole a whole separate list really because they they are the bridge nowadays you know a lot of people have played party games without even knowing that they have so that that that's an interesting one that is definitely an interesting one so guys that is our list have you got any secret hints tips or tricks that have seemingly done what you needed them to do and helped you bring people across the troubled waters of uncertainty into the land of plastic and cardboard dreams. Let us know on any of the social media pages, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, by searching for the Meeple Minded Media. Also, let us know if there is something that we forgot. Is there something we didn't expand upon enough? We are always willing to revisit these things and help you out as much as we possibly can and always feel free to come have a chat to us on our discord server you know or drop us an email we're always happy to chat about these things as well if you want to know more that we don't we we don't come back to indeed yep i always forget that one but the link for it will always be in the podcast description there somewhere on that nigos i think we're gonna call it a nice short short one for you today we will pass over for the weekly news kickstarter or sorry crowdfunding campaigns because we have game found nowadays uh and local events and even worldwide events but that is the business of our main man paul and his rubber duck brian so yeah over to you guys hear me now you is here with myself dj mix master mc triple b a boop 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 as always, my equal yellow brother from another mother is right here by my side. He is the one and only DJ Quack Quack. What's up, bruv? What is wrong? Is you on mute? Anyway, we have some banging news this week with loads of video games coming to the table. Some things happening over with them magic cards and our posse over at Stop, Drop and Roll needs your help. Along with some crowdfunding things, we is all over this. Firstly, this week, me and the Quack Quack have been mostly playing the bomb of a game, and that is Drop Mix. We have been banging out some proper tunes on that big card game, electrical thing, ain't we Quack? Where is you off to, bruv? Never mind, he's probably off to the little duck's room. Our tracks have been so wicked that even me missus has been saying that they need to be played Far, far away. They is that good. So we is sending them off to some proper legends. And is, and we is just waiting here to get signed up for some top DJing gigs. I Oh, hang on. The quack's coming back. What is you doing with the frying pan, bruv? I don't want no more breakfast. I has already had me sugar buffs. You quack quack, stop eating me. Stop, stop, stop. Ow. What was I doing? 
Cheers, chap. You certainly knocked that out of me. Yeah, you're right. Way too much drop mix this week. Definitely going back on the shelf for a bit. Think I should get on with the news, shouldn't I? Think we've wasted enough time. First up this week, and the first of three games making their way from the digital to the analogue platform, is the much-loved Stardew Valley. Stardew Valley released in 2016 and is an open-ended country-life RPG video game available on most consoles, PC and mobile platforms. In the video game, players inherit a farm plot from their grandfather within Stardew Valley. Players then have an open world to explore, the option to hunt for resources to craft with, grow and cultivate crops, tend to farm animals and develop relationships with the villagers living in the valley, turning their small plot into a home that's to their liking. Stardew Valley was created by Eric Barone and developed and published by Concerned Ape, the studio that's also responsible for releasing the board game adaptation. Cole Medeiros, co-designer of Gubs, a game of wit and luck, and creator of Web of Spies, has co-created Stardew Valley, the board game, alongside Barone over the course of the last two years. The announcement of Stardew Valley, the board game, follows the creation of a fan-made tabletop adaptation of the video game by Hungarian Reddit user Neymar Retzbol. The Stardew Valley fan constructed the game in secret as a gift to their partner, who had trouble concentrating on screens due to an ear infection. Stardew Valley, the board game, is a co-op title for one to four players that tasks its farmers with protecting the land they've inherited from their grandfather. An idyllic patch of farmland, the valley is under the threat of being redeveloped by the Joja Corporation, destroying its natural beauty and its residents' way of life. To prevent the corporate takeover, players must work together to complete the goals laid out by Grandpa and restore the valley's community centre to its former glory before the Jojo lackeys arrive. Grandpa's goals in each playthrough of the board game are randomised, meaning that Stardew Valley, the board game, offers a different experience each time it's played. Rounds are determined by the Valley's seasons, with the start of each round having a player draw a season card and reveal its unique weather and events. Players may want to perform different tasks depending on the weather patterns for that round, or they might want to catch a certain event in the hopes that it will aid them with their goals. Throughout the game, players will be able to complete farming tasks such as watering crops and feeding animals, as well as performing more explorative activities such as visiting the valley's mine in search of rare resources or venturing to the beach to do a little bit of fishing. Players can get ahead in the video game board game by coordinating their efforts each round, but they're also free to seek their own personal desires. As the game progresses, players can upgrade their existing equipment and acquire new tools, as well as discover items and obtain fresh skills. There will even be opportunities to make friends with the locals who will give players access to unique gifts and community centre bundles. Players collectively win the game if they manage to complete all of Grandpa's goals and finish the restoration of the community centre before the end of the last season. Stardew Valley the board game is available now at the retail price of $55 
or £38, with shipping applicable to US residents only. Concerned Ape said it's looking into opening up shipping beyond the US. Our second video game making its trip to the tabletop is Skyrim, the immensely popular entry in the Elder Scrolls series of role-playing video games. As first reported by Polygon, the latest tabletop spin on the 2011 video game comes courtesy of Modifius, who brought Fallout and Dishonored to the tabletop and previously turned the open-world fantasy adventure into a skirmish-based miniatures game, The Elder Scrolls Call to Arms. Details on the pithily named The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim the board game are currently scanned, with its pre-launch crowdfunding page simply describing it as an uh, describing it as an epic board game of adventure across Skyrim for one to four players. The Skyrim board game will be launched in June on crowdfunding platform GameFound, marking Modifius's first project onto the fledgling Kickstarter rival. Not to be left out is the news that the tactical multiplayer first-person shooter Rainbow Six Siege is another video game adaptation getting a board game overhaul. Rainbow Six Siege released in 2015 and has since gained a strong following in the eSports and competitive online community. Publisher Ubisoft announced the board game during a live stream reveal for the video game's latest Crimson Heist season of content. Rainbow Six Siege, the board game, is being designed in collaboration with Mythic Games and is scheduled for release this summer. Although details of the game's content and gameplay are sparse, the short teaser trailer on their website gives us some indication of what we can expect from the tabletop offering, showing a covert operative decked out head-to-toe in combat armour, secretly running around a darkened corridor they come face to face with a huge miniature version of an enemy combatant, before a title card appears to reveal a lineup of unpainted operative minis. With limited content details aside, it's not too difficult to imagine how Rainbow Six Siege can be adapted for board game mechanics. Mythic Games is no stranger to tabletop adaptations of video games, successfully kickstarting a miniatures board game version of indie dungeon crawler Darkest Dungeon in January this year. Next up on the news is Wizards of the Coast announced this week that collectible card game Magic the Gathering will release future sets based in established fictional universes such as Games Workshops' Warhammer 40,000 and Lord of the Rings as part of its new Universes Beyond initiative. Both Games Workshop and Middle Earth Enterprises, which handles licensing for the works of author J.R.R. Tolkien, have given Wizards of the Coast permission to print full sets of playable cards based on their worlds and tell stories with their characters. Wizards said in a blog post on February 26th that its goal with Universes Beyond is to expand Magic's potential audience. The blog stated, Many of us imagined what it might be like to play a game of Magic with, with Gandalf the Grey, sketched out how we might translate the One Ring to Magic, or wanted to build a deck around the mighty Space Marines. In many ways, Universes Beyond is us living out those dreams of our own. But we also hope that Universes Beyond will bring the game we love to more people who might not have otherwise found us. We hope fans of these worlds and characters will find our game through Universes Beyond, and we hope they'll stay a while and become part of our amazing community. The announcement of Universes Beyond accompanies a larger restructuring by parent company Hasbro, 
moving Dungeons and & Dragons and Magic the Gathering under its own new dedicated division called Wizards & Digital. Any sets printed in the Universes Beyond line will feature a distinct foil stamp used for the Walking Dead Secret Lair box, a print-on-demand deluxe offering of cards not found anywhere else. In fact, Wizards stated that the Walking Dead would be retroactively added to the Universes Beyond line since it exemplified what it hopes to offer fans, fun jaunts into popular entertainment worlds that do not interfere with Magic the Gathering's standard release schedule. Warhammer 40,000 characters will grace a line of commander decks, and the Lord of the Rings would grace a themed expansion. Cards in both will be completely new and playable in all formats but standard. The same rules as applied to the Walking Dead set. Fans might still see old cards reskinned in future universes beyond releases, akin to Secret Lair Godzilla that accompanied the Ikoria Lair of Behemoth set in 2020. And last up in the news this week, our good friends Laurie, Rob, Ree and the team over at Stop, Drop and Roll Studios are on the lookout for playtesters for their latest game. Stop, Drop and Roll successfully funded their first game, Pugs in Mugs, on Kickstarter last year, and it's well on its way to fulfilling very shortly. Their latest game, Earth Rising, 20 years to transform our world will be hitting the crowdfunding platform later in the year, but at the moment needs your help in ironing out any last remaining issues. The game itself is a cooperative game for 1-6 to six players of families and friends aged 10 plus about saving our world. Earth Rising isn't about vanquishing evil or undoing some terrible plot, instead up to 6 players, each taking on a role from a specific industry, energy, agriculture, politics, culture, industry and infrastructure must work together to bring the world into a sustainable harmony. Balancing the needs of people with the limits of our own planet's biosphere, it will take strong cooperation and careful planning to reverse the damage done and transform our society into a sustainable one. You have 20 years to transform the world. Are you up to the task? Stop, drop and roll have already announced that 50% of profits from the game will be split between six charities. But like I said, they are in need for some playtesters in the coming weeks to help out, and with the digital simulation of the game running in a browser window, pretty much anyone can help out. So pop on over to either the Stop, Drop and Roll, or Earth Rising, 20 Years to Transform Our World Facebook pages to drop the team a line and show your interest. And we're heading on over to crowdfunding now. And the first game up this week is Orconomics by Ares Games. Crowdfunding campaign finishes on Friday, March the 12th. It's for two to five players. It's for ages 10 and over and will take you 60 minutes to play. The crowdfunding game has one pledge and that's for £36 or $49. Hey Ork, are you sad that the days of heroes are in the past? Do you feel upset that brave warriors such as yourself have no chance to use their fury and courage? If so, they're just the thing for you. Dive into the world of business, a vortex of competition, a fight to be the best. Build up your companies with your strong green hands and bargain to the bitter end with your rivals. Legends will be told of your glorious business ventures. Orconomics is a game for two to five players 
competing against each other to establish companies in 10 industrial sectors. The game board assembles randomly for each new game that gives a good replay rating as sectors will have different value and will affect each other. Companies in each industrial sector generate income or losses and grant players abilities that can be used during the game. To win the game, a player needs to be the first to found 10 companies on the game board, or sometimes even less if they successfully fulfilled some business quests of greed, rage or dare. Next up on crowdfunding is Tiny Epic Dungeons by Gamelin Games. The project ends on Wednesday, March the 17th. It's a 1-4 to four player co-op game, ages 14 and over. There's a print and play version available for £8 or $10. The base game comes in at £18 or $25. There's a deluxe pledge, which includes the base game and a potions and perils expansion for £22 or $30. Or the all-in pledge includes the base game, potion and perils and a stories expansion, including eight new heroes plus the miniatures that go with them, and that's for £29 or $40. Tiny Epic Dungeons is a fully cooperative dungeon crawler for 1-4 to four players set in the fantasy world of Ogmore. In Tiny Epic Dungeons, players control one of 8 heroes, or 16 with the expansion, each with their own miniature, in a band of heroes exploring a treacherous dungeon in search of a fearsome dungeon boss. Heroes make their way through the dungeon one room at a time, but around every corner, goblins and ferocious minions seek to block the hero's path. Where there isn't an enemy, traps are set, ready to spring on even the most prepared hero. Tiny Epic Dungeons features a modular dungeon that is unique with each play. The game is played over two acts, the dungeon, and the dungeon boss. In both acts, the players are constantly struggling against the waning firelight of their torch, which decreases each turn. When the torch goes out, heroes are forever lost in the darkness. After clearing the dungeon of all its minions and finding the entrance to the lair, players must engage in an epic battle against the boss. Each boss has unique abilities and a lair with a unique environment that gives various advantages and disadvantages depending on the skill used and where the hero attacks from. In order to do that, heroes will need to collect legendary loot and supreme spells. In addition, to say that I'm a fan of the Tiny Epic series of games is an understatement, and from what the crowdfunding page goes by, this game looks amazing. And if you didn't manage to get in on the Hero Quest relaunch, then this is certainly one to go and back. And at that price point, with miniatures, amazing. It gets mine and the Ducks seal of approval this week. And lastly up in crowdfunding this week is Batman The Dark Knight Returns The Game by Cryptozoic Entertainment. Project ends on Friday March the 19th. It's actually a solo game, it's for ages 14 and over and each mission will take 90 minutes. The base game is £44 or $60 and the deluxe game comes with miniatures and is $99 or £72. In the solitaire Batman The Dark Knight Returns board game, you play the world's greatest detective, who's been pulled back from retirement into a gritty Gotham. Do everything you can to beat back a relentless tide of ruthless mutants, cops and press looking to bring you down. Instead of traditional levelling up, this is a game of attrition. An old Batman tries to survive one final gauntlet, facing old and new villains such as Two-Face, Billy Berserk and the Joker, and even his most powerful ally, the Man of Steel himself. 
The game is playable as standalone missions or one epic playthrough in which the results of each mission carry over to the next. Frank Miller's iconic story, Batman The Dark Knight Returns, comes to life in a single-player strategy board game experience crafted by acclaimed game designers Morgan Duntanville for Asgard's Chosen and Daryl Andrews of Sagrada fame. Your skills will be tested across four scenarios or books that each feature unique rules, allies, abilities and epic boss battles. You'll have a limited number of resources and turns to complete each of the four books and if Batman's grit, sanity or health ever drops to zero, it's game over. Beyond staying alive in the short term, the world's greatest detective also has to plan for the long term the Doomsday Clock. The Doomsday Clock persists across all four books, as does the constantly evolving and always chaotic Gotham City. The Doomsday Clock ever strikes midnight or Gotham becomes too overrun with riots, it's all over. Hang up your cape and cow, or just try again. And we're heading on over to events now, and with the UK government press conference last week planning our route out of lockdown, it certainly has given us hope that in-person events can start happening, albeit as we approach the summer. I believe myself and the other local organisers will leave it until a little closer to the summer before we make any announcements of our own groups, but it does bode well for any conventions later in the year with our main one here in the UK being UKGE, penciled in for the last weekend in July, fingers crossed. But to tide us over till then, you know we're here for you. Our local groups are always around during the week via Discord and Zoom, playing games via Tabletop Simulator, Board Game Arena, Tabletopia, and as with Stop, Drop and Roll asking for playtesters, now our browsers too. Thursday sees both Worthing Board Gamers and Lewis Board Game Group chatting via Zoom, so head on over to their relative Facebook pages for times and links. Jason and Ian would love to hear from you on a Monday evening with the Crawley Gaming Community via their Discord server, and there are plenty of games being arranged over on the Tabletopia Facebook group each week, so head on over there to join in. I know it's a bit of a long one this week, but we made it till the end. Look after yourselves, meeples, stay safe, keep those dice rolling, card shuffling, and we'll be right here for you next week. Say goodbye, Brian. And it's a goodbye from me. Thanks very much for that, Paul. And thank you guys for joining us once again here on the Meeple Minded Podcast. How uh, it was an interesting discussion today. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed that. It's always nice to think back to what we did getting into this industry and you know, hobby. I don't, I don't know why I keep using the word industry. What we did to get, to get into this hobby and what pulled us in what keeps pulling us in you know and, and why and I, I find exploring that fascinating and but also some good memories as i said i'm always one for telling stories and things of what's happened and what what's been and, and it's always a good laugh and always makes me smile to think back yeah especially the mountain that you conquered in you know bringing me down to uh down to your level of uh board gamingness <laughs> you know from my high horse of war gaming you know <laughs> yep and the rest <laughs> <laughs> But yes, it's um, it, it it it's nice to actually go back and and really think about it because it really has opened a lot of doors for me in in the sense of you know we're now doing this, yep. you know it's something I've wanted to do for years but never really had the subject that I felt I was passionate enough about to really talk about on a weekly basis and now we have it we do and uh, yeah the passion's also there to 
get it out to the masses you know get more people into this wonderful hobby experiencing the fun and games that we face on i mean i would say a weekly basis but you know normally for us it's three four five times a week you know when the world hasn't fallen over of course indeed (laughs) anyway i think we should close it off there thank you very much for joining us guys it has been a pleasure talking to you once again we will be back next week with more tabletop gaming gossip news and all that jazz and we look forward to you joining us yeah and stay well and stay safe everyone and we'll chat to you next week indeed we will thanks very much guys goodbye game safe see you next week goodbye